And this week it is a special best of Carcone Carne brought to you by Boost Mobile. The phone I use every day, the service I rely on is from Boost Mobile. Super ridiculously stupid fast uh, and super affordable too. My entire family runs on Boost. Boostmobile.com. It's Carcone Carne. Let's eat in the car. It's Carcone Carne. So this Best of Carcon Carne is all about the restaurateurs, restaurateurs who've been kind enough to jump in the backseat or front seat of my Mazda 3. And we start this Best of with Jared Leonard, who back in early February 2016 was getting ready to launch his Budlong, the Nashville hot chicken restaurant, uh, which at the time was planned for just the Lincoln Square area. Now it's all over the place. It's at Revival Food Food Hall. It's in Lincoln Park on Armitage. It is in Lincoln Square at Western Avenue, and it's coming soon to the Merchandise Mart. Back when Jared jumped in my car to preview his hot chicken for the Budlong, he explained the philandering, sordid history of Nashville hot chicken. I had never heard of Nashville hot chicken until I met you. And ever since you first introduced me to it, I'm starting to hear more about it. You were you were on the leading edge. Like you figured this out before a lot of people. This is a thing, and this is something that shouldn't be landlocked in Tennessee. Tell me this story because it's a fascinating story where Nashville hot chicken came from. Yeah, so there's a, a a guy named Thornton Prince who had a chicken shack in Nashville, and I've poked around a little bit, and from what I can tell, it was, it was just had a generic name like like the Nashville Chicken Shack or something, and someone may have a, a you know the full story for me. But it was just a generic chicken place serving fried chicken. This is like 75 years ago. And Thornton Prince was out partying one night. He was kind of a man about town, liked to go out, and he was well-known with the ladies. And he came <laughs> home on a Sunday morning, like 6, 7 in the morning after being out all night, and his girlfriend at the time, was waiting up for him or had just gotten up and, you know, was welcoming well welcoming him home, we'll say. And he wanted some fried chicken. And I guess it was a Sunday tradition in their house to have fried chicken breakfast. And so she was thinking, like, you know, how dare – how can this guy ask me to cook for him when he's been out philandering all night long? So she took some hot peppers from her garden and made his chicken, his fried chicken, very spicy with a cayenne pepper flavor with the intention to cause some pain or displeasure or what have you. And it totally backfired on her. And he was like, this is the best fried chicken I've ever had. That would you do to it? I want to serve this in my restaurant. And hot chicken was born. And, uh, you know, that business has changed hands three or four generations. And now it is called Prince's Hot Chicken Shack. What a great story. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's even, just hilarious. Even if it's apocryphal, even if a lot of it isn't true, I love sure. that story. Yeah. Some of the best stories aren't true. So you, that's not the point, right? So you were inspired by the food, by the story, by everything about it to bring this to Chicago, put it in this restaurant that is opening when? Springtime. Okay-ish. Springtime-ish. Springtime-ish. Yeah. The Budlong. I've seen the facade. It looks really cool. Yeah, we put a sign up. It's uh, we, You know, we're rehabbing a very old building, and we've done everything down to the new 
sewer lines all the way under. We had to dig out the basement and replace the sewer lines. I mean, there was oh, no God. there was no HVAC system, heating or cooling or electric uh, grid or anything. Nothing's been in this space for thirty or forty years. This is the glamorous side of being a restaurateur, right? Yeah, you know, and it's. I always told people that asked my advice about opening a restaurant. There were a couple of rules that I followed. I said, don't borrow any money. Don't take on a bunch of business partners for your first restaurant. And don't go into a space that hasn't been a restaurant before. There are so <laughs> many spaces out there that have even the smallest amount of infrastructure that will get you further, faster, and, and save you a ton of money and headaches. You know, even if there's just a simple exhaust hood, even if it was a jewelry store that was a restaurant, you know, four businesses ago, if it has ever been a restaurant, it's licensed and zoned and, and, you know, allowed for that use in the city of Chicago. And it all makes perfect sense. If I were to buy a radio station, I'd probably want to take over a space that had been previously used for a radio station. It's the best of restaurateurs on Carcon Carne. We'll call it volume one because I'm not going to be able to get to everybody on this best of. Uh, But Manny's. Earlier this year, in February, I was lucky enough to have co-owner Dan Raskin of Manny's in the car. We ate just some stupidly delicious uh, Reuben sandwiches, and he talked about his high-profile guests. Specifically, they've had presidents through there. So much political history in and out of these doors through the years. Politicos going for lunch, aldermen chatting over a corned beef. The most high-profile People have been actual, real live, no kidding presidents. Yep, we've been fortunate enough to have uh, President Clinton and uh, President Obama as customers. Like Obama came here right after his uh, his rally after he won. Yeah, no so, so when he went to Grant Park for his rally, the next day he uh, just stayed in the federal building all day planning, and the next day we were the first planned press conference um, out in public. So we literally had like seventy five people from the World Press Corps here. Oh, my God. And he came through eight. And I remember they were so worried about the auto shutdown with the auto industry and the bailout. Mm-hmm. So that was like what everybody was asking him. What were they going to do with the bailout? What are you going to do with the bailout? But he was like like super nice, um, Like took pictures with everybody, got his food. It was just a great experience. So how does that work with a president? Like, how much heads up do you get that, hey, President Obama is going to be coming by? So usually the the less we we find out as close to the time as possible because they have to do less work. Mm. So they're, they're like with him and Clinton, both of them, we found out within a few minutes of them actually coming. So that makes sense. It, it was much easier for us that we didn't have to have the Secret Service um, screening everything. When George Bush was president, he was actually scheduled to come in, and we had the Secret Service in the restaurant for two days checking everything. And then he ended up getting sick and didn't come in. But since it was a planned thing, everybody was here for like two days before. Mm-hmm. They were checking through all the employees and everything. Oh, man. So, and then they didn't even come. So it was actually a relief that we didn't know that they were coming this time because it was just like they just showed up. So Obama came after he won, but he also came here before, like when right. he was a state senator. He was like a state senator coming in. Um, he He literally... Would come here. A lot of politicians come here for meetings because it's a, a meeting point throughout the whole city. Mm-hmm. So whether you're on the north side, the west side, or the south side, it's it's very convenient to meet, and the food's great. Obviously. It's right off the expressway. Yeah, it's right off the expressway. We have plenty of parking, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just like a melting pot. It's not like you're going to a, a fancy steakhouse. You, mm-hmm. you can sit here for a while. We don't give you a hard time, mm-hmm. but um, 
It's just become a hangout for everybody. Have you ever had some of our evil governors, our, our incarcerated governors? We, we've had everybody. <laughs> we, 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 we like everybody visiting. Whether, whether, we don't know if they're good or bad until later. But Whatever the end of their story might yeah, be. Usually when they're eating here, they're not causing problems. So. <laughs> Seriously, I've been going to Manny's since I was a small kid. I think everyone has, for that matter. Honey Butter Fried Chicken. Oh, my God. I love this place. Uh, 3361 North Elston. Uh, owner and chef Christine Sikowski jumped in the backseat for one of our annual Bacon Fest episodes. Seth Zur of Bacon Fest was along for the ride, too. And uh, Christine talked about how honey butter fried chicken came about. Give some honey butter fried chicken history. Mm, because yes. I, I said, this restaurant is really part of the fried chicken renaissance in Chicago. Sure. How'd you get it off the ground? Um, so my business partner and co-chef Josh Culp and I... Um, run something called the Sunday Dinner Club. And we've been doing that for 12 years now. Um, and it's multi-course meals served in a home setting. Um, we used to do them all over the city of Chicago. Now we kind of just have one space that we do them and people kind of come to us. Um, but we change the menu every month. And for years, we were doing a fried chicken dinner at Sunday Dinner Clubs. Very popular. And this was probably seven years ago. Very popular dinner. We'd always do them in the spring or in the fall, and just like we'd always change the accompaniments to um, the fried chicken on the on the main course. Um, one year, we were serving the fried chicken with a corn cake, like a griddle corn cake, like a Johnny cake um, with honey butter on it, and we served it to our guests, and then we plated it up for family meal in the back. And being the savage cooks that we are like we just sort of plated it all up and like threw everything on the plate and the butter melted all over the chicken on the plate and we just obviously ate it because again (laughs) right we're chefs and we're just we're gonna eat it and we were just like so blown away like I remember sitting there just being like this is so good because this chicken um, flour that we use for the batter is very heavily spiced and I don't mean spicy I mean spiced like black pepper garlic powder onion powder smoked paprika cayenne it's heavily spiced so it gives this really nice vibrant spice to the chicken and then the honey butter is like sweet salty and it just made both the flavors pop and so we ran out to our dining room and we're like put the butter on the chicken don't put it on the corn cake and so they were about halfway done with their meal and they all started putting the butter on the chicken and then like you know the rest is history like from that moment on we're like we're never gonna serve fried chicken without honey butter again and that honey butter fried chicken slash bacon fest episode is from march of 2017 back in september 2016 i had two guests in the car it was dennis foley author he did the streets and sandman's guide to chicago eats and we speak chicago East. And we met up at Byron's, one of the Byron's locations at 1017 West Irving Park. And Mike Payne, the owner of Byron's, jumped in the backseat to explain to us what makes a good hot dog. Mike, we're at your place. We're about to dig into Byron's hot dogs. As the owner, as someone whose life is all about hot dogs, what makes a good dog? Well, it all starts with the steam table, believe it or not. Meaning You what? have to have the, the right amount of water in the steam table, the right amount of flame underneath the bottom to keep everything hot because that is the key to a hot dog is is having everything hot from the time it comes out of the steam table till it hits your mouth is a very the shorter the time the better that the better it is a lot of people talk about the snap that is that important snap is comes from a natural casing hot dog but we have our we have our own distinct snap because we don't boil our hot dogs like a lot of places do we steam under pressure our hot dogs so we have our own distinct snap but yes, it is important. Cool. Oh my God, Kuma's. My first time at Kuma's, I was 
vegetarian. They had just opened, and that was really the wrong place to be vegetarian at that time. Obviously, I'm no longer vegetarian. I swung back hard in the other direction. And David Baxo of Kuma's jumped in the car, and we talked a lot about burgers, and specifically that Ghost Burger they did for the band Ghost. I love the band Ghost. Uh, specifically, it's a red wine reduction and an unconsecrated communion wafer, along with a 10-ounce goat and beef patty, ghost chili aioli, braised goat shoulder, and white cheddar. Amazing. And it caused some controversy. We did Basically, if you're not familiar with the Ghost Burger, it had a communion wafer. And, uh, and the, the church was pretty into that, right? Yeah, I would say that's one way to put it. Uh, <laughs> there was a protest or two. Um, but... We, we do bring that ghost burger back. Uh, we try to every year or every other year um, around so, Easter. Can, can, you, can you buy communion wafers wholesale? Do you go to, like, Sam's Club for those? Or do you make them in-house? Um, <laughs> I kind of just want to say we make them in-house. <laughs> Real Urban Barbecue is one of my favorite barbecue places in the area, hands down. Uh, the sides are amazing, and the meats are fantastic. And when they opened up a new location in Skokie, I had owner Jeff Shapiro jump in my car. We sampled a bunch of stuff and he asked a question that was pretty easy to answer, I thought, in Skokie. I mean, what do you think we're selling the most here? I our, number one, our number one meat, put it that way. I would guess brisket. Brisket is it, bingo. You know, and it's kind of wild because on a lot of our restaurants, it's like half and half. Here, we are only making about six or eight pork shoulders a day and we're putting in 30 to 40 briskets every day. And, you know, the other stores, like up in Vernon Hills or Vernon Hogs, we might make 60 brisket up there, but we're making 40 pork shoulders, you know what I mean, and we're running out. So it's very different. So, you know, when you say Oak Brook, you know, Oak Brook selling rib tips, but none of the other stores, when we've tried to run them, we can't sell them anywhere else. So, I mean, it's kind of wild. You know, I mean, every store's got its own little idiosyncrasies, and I think you just got to be able to identify it, work with it, and kind of manage everything by historical data and, you know, because... You know, it's not like having a sandwich shop that once you're out of roast beef or turkey, you can't run to the restaurant depots of the world and get more brisket, turkey. You know what I mean? Yeah. Our stuff is slow smoke. So when we're out of brisket, we're out of brisket. You know, when we're out of pork shoulders, we're out of pork shoulders. So, you know, we really got to tune in to keep it fresh. What are you going to smoke each day? It's a, it's a big guessing game on certain parts. This is, was... The best of restaurateurs on Carcone Carney. We'll call it volume one because I couldn't get to everybody. Uh, specifically, Tyler Wildy at Epic Deli. I will absolutely get you next time. You are a favorite. You are a wonderful, delightful man. Also, Taco in a Bag, Paulie G's, Club Lago. I've been to a lot of places and I've been lucky enough to have these restaurateurs talk about their places, the art of food craft. And uh, we'll get to them too. Uh, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, if you're into this podcast, this insanely hyper-local thing, Please tell a friend, carconcarney.com, share it, talk about it. And uh, thanks again to Boost Mobile, who make makes uh, this entire podcast possible.